0: and digitizing real estate. It's so inefficient right now. If you've ever bought a property out the the system (laughs) with agents and title companies and title insurance and appraisals and and, 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 it's a mess. Or you you could build the whole mortgage experience into a smart contract if you wanted, which there are companies that are starting to try to do that.
1: Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, where we have Eric Rosenberg back on again to talk all things crypto, NFTs, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But first, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. The big things
1: for me were, you know, we had a big kind of like house party, which has definitely been my favorite thing about owning a house that is big enough to host people. You know, we probably had... 15 or so people over eating potluck style, had some, some ribs, some tacos, all kind of different stuff, got to enjoy the backyard. And then Sunday, we actually went and did like the Broadway Lion King. They were in Austin. And uh, that was my first experience with that kind of show. And if you think that maybe that sounds like it'd be something for kids, it's honestly was really awesome. So I would highly recommend it. How about yourself, Cody?
2: I got a bunch of work done on the Airbnb and actually had a, a first in my DIY life. So I actually started installing a fence in the backyard and <laughs> at face value, fences don't look that complicated. And then you realize like you got to dig like a three foot hole that's one foot across and like pour cement into it and have all your posts level. And it is turned into a much bigger project than I could have imagined. But we put the hot tub in the back. So we want to make sure that's like fully enclosed for guest privacy. So it is a necessity. But yeah, it's a it's definitely a learning curve. It's been fun learning a new skill. But <laughs> I got to say, I have a newfound appreciation whenever I see a fence put up. I'm like, man, that fence must have taken you know 50 hours because <laughs> just for a couple of pieces, <laughs> it took us like four or five. So that was on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we went and saw Lauren's grandfather. And then we went to my aunt's house for a big Easter lunch slash dinner. I definitely overweight, <laughs> overate. And I was uh, struggling to stay awake because I consumed so much food. But That is the best part about the holidays, in my opinion. I love Thanksgiving and Easter because I can just basically gorge myself on ham and turkey, respectively. (laughs) But Justin, that's enough from us. Let's take a quick moment for our sponsor.
1: Yeah, Cody, I'm excited to make this available to all the listeners. It's the spreadsheet that I use personally from the time I started in 2015 when I had 38K to track And now I've got this spreadsheet that shows everything I've spent all the way up to today. We're busted over that million mark. And so it's a tool that I have found kind of stood the test of time. It's got all the categories in there for you. And I think it's just a really simple tool that's worked really well for me. And I hope it works well for the listeners.
2: All right, Justin, I can't let you get away with not hyping yourself up enough because I've seen this spreadsheet and it is just all encompassing. It tracks all of your expenses. It tracks your net worth month to month. It tracks your income. It has kind of a ledger of all of your different accounts, whether that's bank accounts, 401ks, IRAs, anywhere where your money is sitting, Justin has a place for it. And so basically what Justin did was he took his spreadsheet that he uses himself, he made a template version for all of you guys to use, and he went ahead and recorded a video to show you exactly how he uses it month to month to track his net worth, income, and expenses. You can grab all of that for free at the slash spreadsheet. That's the slash spreadsheet. So on today's episode of The Fi Show, we have on Eric Rosenberg. If you did not hear our first interview with Eric, where we talked about crypto basics, cryptocurrency 101, check out episode 163. And so in that first episode, we covered use cases, we covered different types of crypto, we covered where and how to buy crypto. And today we get to go a little bit deeper. So we talk about mining, we talk about NFTs, both like art NFTs and also utility NFTs. We talk about more uses for smart contracts and what that's going to mean for different industries and how crypto... And blockchain and smart contracts and all that stuff is going to disrupt many different industries. We also get a chance to talk about DAOs, taxes, and even some estate planning.
1: Yeah, Cody, the smart contract part for me was was definitely the most interesting. It's the thing that, you know, I'm kind of the most hopeful for that crypto can kind of come in and change things. If you've ever had to wire money or do any kind of large financial transaction, you know how terrible, slow, and how kind of untransparent it can feel at times where you just feel like money is just you hope it's going to the right person and you hope it's out there. And, but then it takes you like four or five days to see the money come out of your checking accounts is really nervous feeling and how awesome it would be to just instantly see the money, go to the person. It's very transparent, you know, exactly what it's going to. So smart contracts, uh, I think there's a lot that can be done there. So that's, um, so that's a really interesting topic. So if you're interested in this next level of crypto, know someone who is and just want to share this link with them or want to be able to refer back to some of the links that we'll have in the show notes, you can do all that at thefyshow.com slash crypto2. That's thefyshow.com slash crypto and the number two. Take it away, Eric.
0: I am a financial writer. I've been writing about money online for a really long time. Since midway through last year, cryptocurrency has been... The majority of what I've written about, and it's an awesome topic. I'm really into it.
1: Well, we covered a lot of stuff in the last episode, but we didn't really get too much into mining. Um, You know, so I don't know if you could talk a little bit about what that is. Maybe you even know where the term came from originally. But anyways, like talk about what mining is, what goes into it, and if it's something that the listeners should consider.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's a great place to start for it's like crypto 102. If you've already bought and used cryptocurrency, you're using the blockchain. I'm assuming you've already listened to the last episode. Do you know what all these terms mean? So you're using a blockchain and that blockchain, it's a, that big database that stores all of those cryptocurrency transactions. And those are stored on computers all around the world called miners. And those miners each have an identical copy of that blockchain database. So there's an indisputed ledger and record of every cryptocurrency transaction that has ever happened on that blockchain. So those miners, though, they play the important role of not just storing copies of the database. They also process new transactions. And that's where the term blockchain comes from. So every transaction, let's say I'm sending Cody a couple of Bitcoin because I'm really generous. And somebody else is sending some Bitcoin and fractions of Bitcoins. And all, I'm just saying Bitcoin for all of them because it's the same blockchain. And each blockchain operates independently. So, there's all these blockchain Bitcoin transactions sent in through different wallets and exchanges, and they all get lumped together, and the miners compete to process those transactions. And they do that using cryptography. If you ever watched any of those old, like World War II Nazi Enigma machine movies where they used uh, secret codes to send messages, it's actually a very similar technology. Uh, It's just now using our our computers and smartphones to do it instead of um, old, cool typewriter machines. So what those computers do is they're actually racing against each other to kind of crack the code and solve a really complex math problem called a hash. And the way you measure how fast a computer can do that is called a hash rate. So every miner, they know what their hash rate is probably. That's kind of a fun term to know if you want to impress your friends. So they are racing against each other. And the one with the fastest hash rate or the highest hash rate is most likely to win the race. But that's not always the case. You every once in a while you see a story. If you read crypto news that a small miner did it at home and won a Bitcoin. And I was like, wow, I. Could you imagine getting like $40,000 just one day? So that, that's what's happening right now. But the odds of you actually doing that on your own are very slim because you're competing against, I and mean, there's public companies that you can buy stock in that have full data centers full of computers that are only doing mining all the time. So they're the ones who are most likely to win that race. And when they win the race, all those transactions for that time period are bundled together into a block. That's the term for a new addition to the database. And that block is added to the bottom kind of like a chain. So there you go, block, chain. When all those transactions come together, the block gets added to the chain of transactions. Then they start the race for the next set of transactions. And that's kind of the the basics of what a miner is doing there. So from a
2: side hustle perspective, what are the ways that you can earn money and what types of money can you earn? Outside of the, you know, the kind of rainbow unicorn, $40,000, you get so lucky and you beat out these public companies. But what could the average person who maybe has a regular desktop or regular laptop expect to earn if they started to participate in this type of economy?
0: Sure. So there's solo mining and group mining. That's called a mining pool. As an individual, as a solo miner, your odds of making any money are almost zero. Uh, you're probably going to spend more money on electricity than you will on anything you make if you make anything at all. I have a little uh, computer behind me. The guys can see it. We have a video on that's running a little media server for me and I'd put a Monero miner. Monero is just a cryptocurrency that's really easy to mine with its own software. And when I turned it on, it said I would most likely get a block reward in something like a million years. So You're not really going to make any money as a miner individually. But mining pools do offer opportunities if you have the right hardware and software set up. And that gets really geeky and nerdy, so I don't think we should get too far into it. But basically, the processors in your computer that do graphics are really, really good at cryptocurrency mining, where your CPU, the chip in your computer that... And it does the operations for everything you're doing, like listening to this show. They're okay at it, but a lot less efficient. So people spend a lot of money to buy these GPU mining rigs. They'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars and they'll have like a room full of them. And they'll run them. And the, sometimes you know, they, they might try to solo mine because they have such a big rig, but they will often even join into a pool. But let's say you join into a pool as a user at home. I could take this computer behind me and... By joining a pool, I'm putting my resources towards that hash rate. So you can kind of add all of the computer's hash rates together. And that gives you the same power as maybe one of those big miners with a warehouse somewhere. So if you have thousands of little computers, you know it, you c- can add it up. And that's a kind of basic look at how it works. And again, to set it up, it's kind of complex. You have to download special software. And configure your wallet. And uh, there's some hoops you have to jump through, and you might even have to go through some tests to prove your computer is powerful enough to join that specific pool. So basically, don't try to mine, is what I'm getting at. It's just not worth it. (laughs) You asked earlier where the term mining comes from. I don't know if this is exactly right historically, but basically, in my understanding, is Bitcoin is kind of considered like a digital gold. And Litecoin, some people say, is like digital silver. Every currency is kind of its own little nickname or thing it's used for. But just like those guys on the gold mining show on Discovery Channel, which is surprisingly good and I like, um, it's like mining for gold. And when you process a transaction, so the benefit to these computers that are doing the mining, like I said, you could end up spending more than you make. There's rewards that come in two different ways. So first you get, a chunk of the fees. So if I send you crypto, I have to pay a fee for that. So if I send you a thousand dollars, you know, maybe it'll be a dollar or two. It depends on a lot of different things, how busy the network is, mostly. And then also right now, for Bitcoin specifically, you also get new Bitcoins. That's where mining comes from. You are creating new Bitcoin when you win the race and get that reward. But for Bitcoin, there will only ever be twenty-one million ever. And I think right now there's about 18. The supply will run out. And at that point, the miners will only get rewards from the fees. So right now we are mining and creating new Bitcoin still, just like a gold miner out there. They can make more gold. But eventually there will not be any more Bitcoin to make. You're still mining, but you don't get to make any more. But every blockchain has different rules. You know, Some have inflation built in and there will be more made forever. Uh, you know, inflation's a hot topic right now. So you've probably been thinking about it. So it applies to cryptocurrency too, but not Bitcoin because there's that fixed supply.
1: Well, you kind of stole the question right out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say is it seems like this is a very crucial part to how this runs and they're rewarded in Bitcoin, but there's only going to be so many Bitcoin. So with that being true, I don't know if you've seen the discussions that are going on about when that happens. Does that mean that the really only way to continue to entice people to do this is by increasing the fees because the fees are the only way they're going to make money.
0: I I think partially yes, but also because there's going to be less to be made, I think there's going to be a lot less competition. I think the miners that are focused totally on Bitcoin, maybe they'll put 80% of their resources towards Ethereum or some other currency. So that could happen. And when the competition goes down, the reward probability goes up. So even if the total reward amount doesn't increase per block, if there's a lot fewer people trying to get rewards and your chance is a lot higher of getting one, it kind of changes the economics also. So there is a possibility fees might have to go up, but it's, it's all kind of built into it. It's, it's a dynamic system where if there's not enough miners out there to process everything, the fees kind of automatically go up or you have to, start paying more, but I don't foresee there ever being a time where there's only one miner. There's always going to be more demand than that, I believe, in Bitcoin. Even if you're only making you know, 0.05 Bitcoin per transaction and multiply 0.05 times 40,000, that's what you'd get today. So that's still something. You know, it's not $40,000, but it's not chump change either. Moving on from
2: mining, I do want to start talking about NFTs a bit we touched on it last episode episode 163 but it was just briefly and what i really want to kind of focus in on with nfts is a lot of people you know the argument is i could just right click that and save it as a jpeg and i think we squashed that in the last conversation talking about how these are non-fungible tokens you have ownership like the blockchain proves that it's like the same concept as why would someone buy a michael jordan rookie card for five hundred thousand dollars? like i wouldn't buy that That's fair. Maybe you wouldn't, but there are people, there are collectors that would. So maybe buying a board ape NFT makes sense for a million dollars or whatever it might be. But what are some of these other use cases? (laughs) If you got a million to burn, what are some (laughs) of these other use cases? Like what are some more practical cases that maybe, you know, more financially savvy, fine-minded people in our community can stand behind and say, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense for NFTs?
0: That's a you know great question, a great way to look at it too. So those artworks like we talked about, you could Just copy a file, like when your grandma wants to send a picture of the grandkids to everyone they know, they can make unlimited copies of the picture of their grandkids and there's no problem. But with a blockchain, you can't just keep copying things. So with pictures, that's a baseball card is a great example there, or a basketball card, whatever it is. To some people, that scarce supply will make it really valuable. To others, it's silly and and that's okay. That will probably be with a lot of things. There's people who wouldn't pay anything for a Picasso. And there's people who would pay a lot for a Picasso. So actually, Picasso's grandson is Florian Picasso's into NFTs. Fun little thing. So the artworks, it's its own market. You can kind of take it or leave it. It's up to you if you like it or not. I have one little one that looks like it's one of the dogs from the Dogecoin made into something that looks like a magic card. And I paid a $0 for it and like $9 in gas in Ethereum to get it just so I could try it out. So that was the first artwork and only artwork one I've ever bought. Yeah, but practical purposes this verified ownership model can do some really neat things so right now what you can already do i actually just bought an nft last week i was writing an article about a digital horse racing game i was like "All right, you know, let's see what this is really about it was only 15 dollars to buy an nft horse so i bought a horse name it was name was Marley Edmonds it, was, it had a name on OpenSea and I bought this horse and I paid Ethereum and it cost about $15 for the horse and then 15 for the gas because Ethereum's expensive to transact in it's because of that mining there's a lot of demand and not uh, enough supply for miners That's why the transactions get expensive. So I paid as much for the gas as I did for the NFT. But once that was in my wallet, I was able to connect to the game and actually race that horse in the game. And I'm the only person that's able to race that horse. And when I bought it, it was two weeks old and it wasn't the fastest horse alive, but it was, uh, it was fun to race. But when it's a month old, I can then breed it and people can pay me Ethereum to mate with my horse. And get the baby from it. So it's a real game. And that's the only way to create a new NFT in that game is to mate two horses. They were like the original like thousand horses or something. And they're only made now through mating. So that's just one game. Then there's a game, much more popular ones like Decentraland, where you can buy like metaverse real estate and buy the materials to like build a house or a castle or a pool and have all your metaverse friends over. That's all NFT based. And there are cryptocurrencies that pay for that specific NFT blockchain. It's like Decentraland runs on Mana as the currency. So there's specific currencies like Axie Infinity. That's another game. Cost way more money to get started. I Last I read, it was like $3,000 or something was the minimum to buy the characters you need as NFTs to play the game. But then once you're in... You own these characters, which are tradable for like real money. It's like if you played World of Warcraft back in the day. People really sold, went on eBay and sold their characters, like their logins. Now it's a built-in system for this game. With Axie Infinity, you have an Axie. You can sell it to another player. And it's encouraged, and it's part of the ecosystem. And, and that's really fun. But then if you look beyond gaming, where you can... Like look at the physical world, the places that I get most excited and we're talking about financially savvy people is the stock market and real estate. So real estate, like there's actually a real estate game that I play that's called Upland and that's NFT based. I bought a place in Los Angeles recently and it went on the EOS blockchain in the game and I'll sell it and then I'll buy another one. It's like Monopoly but with real properties on a blockchain. But now imagine, so in this game, and every city they have, which there's I don't know, a dozen cities on there, every single property is represented by an NFT. So now think in the real world, every single property is represented by a title or a deed. So if you own a house or you have that title or deed, hopefully somewhere very safe. <laughs> if you have a mortgage, your bank has that title or deed and, and your county has it on file. So if you could turn that deed into an NFT, all these new opportunities start to exist. So one, let's say you have your personal blockchain wallet. Uh, your deed could be in that wallet. So you know uh, we're going to talk about estate planning later. If you give that wallet to someone, you might be giving them the deed to the house. Or maybe you want to sell that house to somebody. Actually, there's a house on my street for sale right now. Let's say they've already... I know they're here still, but let's say they'd already moved and they were out of state or out of the country and someone wanted to buy the house. They could potentially, using smart contracts and cryptocurrency, create an escrow system where the deed is deposited into the smart contract and the payment for the property is deposited into the smart contract. And when both of those things happen, it automatically releases the payment and the deed to the buyer and seller. you could automate that real estate transaction. And then there's no dispute of who owns it because it's recorded on a blockchain. And maybe that's a government blockchain. (laughs) Maybe that's uh, Google or whatever the next big company is that we haven't heard of yet. That's going to be worth a trillion dollars makes it. Who knows? But the idea of automating and digitizing real estate It's so inefficient right now. If you've ever bought a property, the the system (laughs) with agents and title companies and title insurance and appraisals, and and, 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 it's a mess. You could could build the whole mortgage experience into a smart contract if you wanted, which there are companies that are starting to try to do that. Uh, So that's one really cool potential is real estate. And the other one I mentioned is the stock market, which I think we're even closer to having NFTs because if you think about a share of stock, well, let's talk about. I'll use NASDAQ as an example because NASDAQ, we're all pretty familiar with it. You know, the New York Stock Exchange, it's mostly digital now, but the NASDAQ has always been digital. That's why it's a good example. So if you buy a share of whatever stock XYZ company listed on the NASDAQ, there's a whole system of computers that works with your brokerage and other brokers, and they match up buyers and sellers in an automated exchange. When a price matches, Your broker takes custodianship of that share of stock for you and puts it in your account. So there's a lot of middle people in there. There's the exchange. There's the NASDAQ. There's the brokers on both sides. There could be order processing. There could be order selling, depending on what if you use Robinhood. There's a clearing company that will sell off the order processing speed. So a company can make like a fraction of a cent on this. There's a lot of stuff happening in that transaction, right? It's pretty complicated. But now imagine if that share of stock were an NFT. Sure, you could connect your wallet to an exchange, just like Coinbase. (laughs) Let's say it's just like Charles Schwab or or Fidelity in this case, where that exchange is doing that exact thing we just talked about. It's matching buyers and sellers. It's helping connect transactions and, and facilitating them. And they take a fee for that. And that is a necessary part of the market. And uh, as there's more competition, those fees come down. It, it's economics. It's it's kind of how it works. And we're seeing that with exchanges. So if that happened with stock, if every single share of stock were an NFT, sure, you could connect to that exchange. But let's say I wanted to give my sister my five shares of Disney for her birthday. I could get her wallet address, click a couple buttons and send her those shares. And then because it's on a blockchain, on in indisputed ownership, she just gets it, and it's instant, and it's cheap, and it, or not quite it. So you know, maybe it takes anywhere from a couple seconds to an hour, depending on what blockchain they use. But it's pretty quick, and there's no middle people other than the miners that we already talked about. Because, as we know from the last episode, your wallet is semi-anonymous, you know, that could... Also facilitate a lot of things that could be helpful. You know, maybe you want to go on uh, Facebook and go on Facebook Marketplace and be like, "Hey, I got uh, you know ten shares of Google. I've got to unload. Is there anyone who wants to buy it?" And you could make that transaction happen just as easy as you know meeting someone in the Chipotle parking lot to swap something from Craigslist. There's a lot of neat ways that you could take out the middle companies. From the transactions and of course there will still be a need for exchanges and centralized providers of services but having that option it's pretty cool to think about you know maybe you you, you gift your niece and nephew stock every year through an automated transfer maybe you set something up for your kids to get stock you know there's, there's so many ways you could do it the potential is really astounding
1: you just mentioned like doing a transaction through something like facebook marketplace and it made me think about how a lot of times what holds people back of doing business online is this fear of fraud. I and mean, then also a big thing is like identity theft when people are doing things online. Have you seen ways in which not only like, okay, I can prove this is mine, but people can kind of stop from being like things being stolen from them, either their identity or again, like being held in like a fraudulent situation and, and not being actually given the product that they paid for.
2: We'll be right back after a quick word from our amazing sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. It's a new year. 2022 but it's feeling harder than ever to find and hire the qualified people you need especially for small businesses and especially during the great resignation that's where linkedin jobs comes in they make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free i recently hired a video editor and having a platform where i could filter through qualified candidates made it so much easier You can create a free job post in minutes on linkedin jobs to reach qualified candidates and beyond on the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people plus with the linkedin jobs filtering features it's so easy to figure out who is right and who is wrong for your business that's why linkedin jobs is rated number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors but basically linkedin jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit linkedin post your job for free at linkedin.com slash show. as linkedin.com slash show to post your job for free terms and conditions apply
0: yeah so with cryptocurrency and blockchains there's pros and cons in that situation you're describing so on the semi-anonymous side and irreversible transaction side once a transaction happens you can't turn it back there is a lot of fraud and there are a lot of scammers out there who try to take advantage of that and know it's a one-way street, so they might go out there and try to take advantage of someone who doesn't really know what they're doing and steal their money, and there's no way to get it back. You know, It's not like if you send a wire, you know, it's hard to get it back, but it's not impossible. If you send a check, it's a little easier. Depending on how you pay and send money, there's different levels of support you'll get from your bank. You know, With cryptocurrency, there might not be a bank. So there might not be someone to help you get it back if you're doing something with someone directly. So there's some extra risks to think about with that. But then there's also potential benefits. Again, with a blockchain verified ownership, there are already identity verification services using blockchain. And the idea, kind of like Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, (laughs) you'd have a uh, cryptocurrency wallet, and that wallet contains your digital identity. And when you go to whatever website to use it, you unlock your wallet to log in rather than a username and password. And that is already how, what we'd call kind of web three apps work. So if you use your external cryptocurrency wallet and want to use a decentralized exchange rather than a centralized exchange, that's already how you log in. When I logged into that horse racing game, I clicked the little button and it unlocked my wallet. It asked for my wallet password. And then it was able to say, oh, you have a horse. And it loaded it up. So it didn't care that I was Eric. It just cared that I had a horse in my wallet. But you could, again, a blockchain can do a lot of things. It's very flexible. And it could be your driver's license. It could be your passport. It could be any number of things. Whatever you use digitally and you need to verify digitally or have, if you have your phone with you, could potentially have a blockchain application I mean, I'm just starting to make things up as we're talking. Maybe you go through customs and uh, you show them your phone and it's linked to a blockchain and pulls up your face and they see it on the screen They're like, all right, you're good to go and you don't need a paper passport anymore. There's a lot of cool things that could do.
2: So we kind of touched on people working together and the exciting use cases for NFTs. I know one that excites me as a content creator. I heard this. I forget who. Was using this example but like let's say you're someone hosting a conference and instead of co- like conference tickets people buy an nft and eliminates all the middlemen you don't have to use eventbrite and pay them like 30 percent or whatever outlandish fee they're charging i'm interested to talk about DAOs. i honestly don't know too too much about them but i've heard just the possibilities and the cool things that people are doing and collaborating and working together and it seems like there's just so much room to kind of just wipe out all the bs all the middlemen and work together collaboratively. So I'd love if you could one, define what a DAO is, and then two, all the exciting things that this kind of new organization structure has to offer.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's a fun way to turn next. Yeah. So also for buying conference tickets as an NFT, you can do that already. Gary V, the Gary Vaynerchuk, love him or hate him. He's an interesting guide. He got on the NFT train with V friends. And if you own a V friend, there's a certain number of them that give you lifetime access to his annual conference. So if you want to buy a like hundred thousand dollar NFT, you can also go to his conference. That's <laughs> Perfect. A, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting way to go forward. <laughs> yeah. So DAO's sounds like a uh, sushi restaurant or something, but no, it's, it's stands for distributed autonomous organization. So DAO and a DAO, So there's a few things to know about them. So one, if you search for DAOs, the first thing that'll probably come up, there was an early one called The DAO, and they had some smart contract code errors in their system, and they built the biggest DAO ever on Ethereum, and it got hacked. And there was a huge problem, and Ethereum actually ended up splitting into two versions because of it. If you search for DAOs, that will probably come up. And... Not all DAOs are that DAO. So the DAO is not all DAOs. The basic idea of a DAO is it's kind of like a smart contract becomes a bank or a cashier or a digital vending machine for a group of people to do some collaborative purpose. And the one that I've heard about that's the most fun is there was a group of people that tried to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution there are a few original copies out there. Like there's like the copy, but then there's other originals that were signed by all the founders. And this group created Constitution DAO and anyone could participate. You connect your blockchain wallet. And when you do that, through that specific DAO, you could commit funds. So I don't know, it was probably Ethereum. Most were Ethereum. So (laughs) let's say it was Ethereum. You could connect your wallet and you could commit let's say, you know, $1,000 of Ethereum or $100,000, a million, whatever you felt comfortable and the system would allow, you could contribute. And then that smart contract would collect the money for everyone. Like I said, kind of like a digital vending machine. So everybody is putting their money and putting their money and putting their money in. And if it hit the price that would allow them to afford to buy that copy of the constitution, there was a mechanism built in that would allow the creator to do the transaction. And if that had happened, all of those people who put their money in would then own that fraction of a copy of the constitution, which is pretty neat. And then let's say they sell it off someday in the future, you would get that percentage of it, or hopefully you'd have access to go see it somewhere. Who knows what you would do with it. That's up to the people who created it. Uh, but what ended up happening was somebody else got more money and bought that copy so it didn't have that mechanism trigger to cash out. Instead, it refunded everybody automatically. So they all got their money back. So that's just one example of what a DAO can do. But it gives you a basic idea of the potential features and functions. So you know, let's say if it weren't a copy of the Constitution, maybe and we've already talked about Picasso. Maybe it's a group of art collectors want to all put their money together to create a fund and who I mean, They could build an art museum. Who knows what you want to do with that? Maybe it's a group of friends who want to pool their money to buy a vacation home or a boat. Or maybe it's a group of family members who wanna, you know, buy a vacation home together and, and have it be something that their family really owns together. So they create a family DAO and they each put in whatever their percentages are and work it all out. And then they do the purchase and that DAO owns the property. So as owners of that DAO, they own their slices of the pie. So that's just a few ways it could work. But you could see if you start connecting to other digital financial systems, that it can do different unique things. You You could use them to create a new cryptocurrency. You could use it as a venture capital fund. There's so much you could do with it. It's really one of those flexible, endless possibility kind of things with a lot of exciting potential when you start to think about it.
1: You know, as we're listening to this, I'm thinking about how as a society, especially, you know, here in America, we're not the fastest at creating laws and that sort of thing and like how all this is really handled. So when we're looking at crypto and you're talking about these things like buying a house together, investing with it, all these things, what laws are out there that kind of exist today that you're familiar with? How is it treated differently than just anything you would do with money, if at all?
0: Yeah, say you could buy a house like this. That doesn't mean people are really doing it. Uh, we're talking a lot about potentials. That's that's something important to remember. Although somebody did sell a condo, I think it was as an NFT, like it was in Canada or Europe somewhere, and they, they put it up for an auction on like OpenSea or one of those sites, and and they sold their condo. For most people, have not done that yet, and we're still quite a ways off from that. So from a legal perspective, it's important to yeah consider where we are. And the future regulatory environment as you get involved. So as we saw in China, and it was, it, it's starting to be a while ago now. One day they just said, like, cryptocurrency mining in China is now illegal. And it all went away pretty much overnight. And it was something like 80% of the crypto capacity in the world was being mined in China. And the price of all the cryptocurrencies took a huge drop instantly, which makes sense. So that was just one person or a few people's decision, one government action changed the entire crypto economy forever. It has not changed back. And you know a lot of people suspect that China's creating their own state-based cryptocurrency, a central bank digital currency or CBDC. So that's why they're doing it because they want to control it. But that's China. You know, in the US, the SEC or the Federal Reserve, there's a lot of different organizations that uh, could step in and try to enforce regulations in the crypto world. We've seen the IRS show up a little bit. In the beginning, it was kind of a free-for-all on taxes, and the IRS didn't really have any way to track it. Well, well, now they do. And uh, chances are, if you make a bunch of money on cryptocurrency and don't report it to the IRS, you're going to get caught, and you're going to have to pay a lot of money, and it's not going to be good. So that's the beginning of the regulations. In the future, it, actually, just uh, this... Earlier in March of 2022, the president put out a letter, I don't know what you'd call it, an executive order saying that several different offices should start to do studies on cryptocurrency and start to look at potential legislation and potential regulations and rules. So we know that the government's thinking about it. And we know that there's a possibility of regulation. So definitely be careful and. But right now, there's not a lot preventing you from doing much of this.
2: So you mentioned the phrase pay taxes, Eric, and that's kind of vague, especially for financial independence nerds like us. How exactly is cryptocurrency tax? Let's keep it at like the simplest level, not like you bought a house in a Dow and you owned it for less than a year. Like what yeah, are the yeah. taxes? Let's <laughs> yes, just say most like straight up that. buying and selling Bitcoin. <laughs> like you buy Bitcoin, it appreciates, you sell it. What happens from a tax perspective?
0: In that situation, it's very similar to a stock. If you buy and sell most cryptocurrencies, they're treated like any other financial asset. If you make a profit on it, you pay taxes on that profit. If you hold it for less than a year, it's a short term gain, more than a year, it's a long term gain. That's the basics to know, but tracking that can be very complicated. And if you have a wallet where you're getting paid any kind of interest through staking or or any other system, you could have a lot of transactions. Some of these Different systems might pay daily interest payments. So if you have five wallets with staked balances getting paid daily, that's 365 times five transactions. And that's just your interest. That's not the buying and selling. Uh, so there's a some really good software out there to help you track all of this and put it all together. And then you can export the reports you need to load into either TurboTax or whatever else you use or to give to your accountant uh, the big ones are coin tracker that's probably the biggest and they have a free version to just track your portfolio and i use that and it's great it's a little pricey for the part where they do your tax calculations so you might want to shop around a little there but it's a very very high quality product if you don't mind the cost another good one that i like actually have i'm probably going to use myself this year is coinly that's k o i n l y And that works internationally. Uh, So it's good for the US. It's good in Canada. I have a friend in Toronto who uses it. He's the one who suggested it to me. So it works a lot of places. There's another one called Zenledger that I like. There's probably another half a dozen competitors. So you could shop around. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but those are the big (laughs) ones to know about.
1: From that perspective, like you said, it it does sound like you're buying stock, like it's an investment. But one could argue, I would think from a mining perspective, it's almost like income. It's not like an investment. And so for the whoever it is that's behind this it's paying you these and from you receiving it is there an income perspective the way it's uh, kind of calculated
0: yes so let's say you're not earning any interest it's just sitting in a wallet and you buy it for a thousand you sell it for ten thousand you just made nine thousand dollars that's a nine thousand dollar capital gain that's pretty easy to understand so that's kind of what i was focusing on before so if, if we are doing more with the cryptocurrency there could be an income component so if mining is is the best example if you mine a block and you get a $40,000 valued bitcoin that is income according to the IRS you pay income on it when you get it or the year you get it let's say you hold that for 5 10 years and then you sell it for a gain in the future so there's another tax payment for the capital gains so it, that's also you know similar to stock and you pay income taxes from your paycheck at work or your self employment wherever your money's coming from Uh, Then you buy something and invest. You you pay capital gains taxes on it. So it's the same kind of logic. Uh, It just gets more complicated because the currency is also an investment asset. It's treated kind of as both.
1: So I was thinking about like from the regulation perspective. You know, we're thinking about as kind of the employee or maybe the contractor kind of perspective. Is there anything here from like the employer perspective? Is there like an entity that is going to be regulated as far as like hey, this person is mining 40 hours a day and you need to give them some kind of benefits. Is there anything there or is it all just kind of more of that kind of 1099 look to it?
0: Yeah, so there's nothing like that yet where anyone's regulated like an employer unless you work for a company like Coinbase or Riot Chain. I'm trying to think of the name for a minute. There's, there's a few crypto companies. So if you have a job with a company that's going to be treated like that, you know, from the investment side, depending on where you transact there might be some reporting so if you use a centralized exchange like coinbase or kraken they might be sending some kind of forms into the irs to let them know what happened but from like employer regulations if you're running a bitcoin farm in your garage i think you're probably more likely to have the power company show up than the hr people (laughs) there's not employer regulations there but if you do make a lot of income from it then uh you know uncle sam will want his chunk All right. So
2: I think this is going to be the last topic we cover. And it's a perfect topic to end on estate planning. You've written a couple of articles on estate planning, how do NFTs, crypto, how does all this stuff even wrap into that?
0: If you have kids, which I have three kids and a wife, and if something happens to me, we've had a discussion what happens to the cryptocurrencies. My wife is not a crypto savvy person like me. She gets the basics and we talk about it over dinner, but she's not like sitting around playing with crypto wallets all day like I do. So she knows at a high level, if something happens to me, there's a little box with pieces of paper that she knows where it is in the world. And there's a little satchel thing with some hardware wallets that she knows where it is in the world. And she knows to give it to my friend Jeff, and he knows what to do with those things to get the money off and give it to her. So that is where estate planning with crypto has been historically. There's not a lot of good stuff out there for cryptocurrency wallets when they're very secure. If something happens to someone and they're the only one who has the password, it's kind of gone forever. That even happened to a big exchange from Canada. The founder went on a trip to India. There was a podcast series I listened to about it. He went to uh, India and then he died. And everyone said, well, did his wife steal the keys and get the money? Like, Who knew? What happened at the end of the day is all the people who had money at that exchange lost their money. So if you have a lot of cryptocurrency stored somewhere. It's important that some family member or friend that you want to have access to it in the future knows how to do that. For the future, there are uh, things in development. I actually had a really cool conversation with a guy who lives in Nigeria, and he saw this problem, and he is creating an app to fix just this situation where you put all of your cryptocurrency information into a secure kind of online vault. And you have a designated beneficiary who can unlock it and get access to everything if something happens to you. So there are things in the works, but for now, it's something you have to really think hard about. Accidents happen, even young guys like us can get in car accidents and who knows what. So it's important to think about how your loved ones will get access to those assets if something happens to you.
1: And is that something where, you know, I know you've mentioned smart contracts a lot, where maybe a, the smart contract could come in and say, if Eric is no more, the cryptocurrency is automatically sold and at market prices. And then that money is like sent to this bank account, like something like that, where it's just like a domino effect.
0: Yeah, It could be created. It sounds to me kind of like a you just created the cryptocurrency version of a trust. That, that's <laughs> more or less what it would do. And there's no reason you couldn't do that with a smart contract already if you know how to do it. So if you're a blockchain developer and you're listening, you just got your million-dollar business idea from this show because that could absolutely be a thing.
1: I'm on Venmo if you're listening. So if, if you create that million-dollar idea, you know, just send that over
2: to at JustinTaylor66. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for those listeners who do want to learn more about all this stuff, Eric, I know you've been writing prolifically for a long time now and more recently, mostly on crypto. Where do you want to point people? Where do you want people to get in contact, read along?
0: The best place to go if you type in your browser, eric.money, and then hit enter. That will take you to a list of links to all the goodies that I have. Twitter's the best place to reach me if you want to chat. And I also have a giveaway, a free week-long personal profitability bootcamp you can find there and all the other socials. So yeah, I'd love to connect with you and hear your questions and answer them. Twitter, as I said, best place, Eric Profits on Twitter. Well, thanks again, Eric, for
1: coming on the show. Um, I know the audience has been clamoring for some crypto information. And between the last episode and this one, I think we've got them a pretty good start. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The FI Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources.
0: And thanks for listening.